0: John chapter 3 is where we are. Good to be with you again this morning. Very encouraging uh, to worship together and enjoy the fellowship together. Uh, Church planning, you know, is, I think you know, is near and dear to my heart, so it's wonderful to see uh, you again and see your endeavor to uh, establish a church that is solid and uh, centered in the Word. Uh, This is the only kind of church that will survive ultimately in the culture that we're in. So I I, I encourage you again this morning to be patient in laying a foundation. I know you are, but to be patient in laying a foundation uh, because that is crucial to everything that's ahead. So John chapter 3 this morning, uh, and I'll read here verses 1 to 8. I understand, of course, Pastor Kendall's been preaching through the Gospel of John, so I asked him, yeah, I, I sort of asked him how long ago it was you looked at chapter 3, and I trust it was like two years ago or something. Um, it, was while, it had to be a while ago, I think. So, But here we are. Revisit it. You can't get enough of John chapter 3. So John chapter 3, and simply this morning, the first eight verses. This is, is, is of course, a, a Nicodemus' interview with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, very instructive in so many ways. So John chapter 3. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. God's holy word, may he write upon our hearts. Let's pray again together. Father, help us now, we pray, to receive this, your word. Bring us encouragement, bring us instruction, that Jesus Christ might be made greater in us, that he might be glorified in our midst. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, brothers and sisters, we want to think on the miracle of the new birth, the miracle of the new birth. And as we do, of course, there's probably no better chapter in the Scripture than John chapter 3, where we find Jesus' admonition to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The church, we know, is too often like a funeral home, whereas it should be like a delivery room. And why? Well, because we're to be seeing here and there, and we want to think rightly about this, but we should be seeing here and there uh, persons born from above by the Spirit of God. This is what we desire, isn't it? This is what we desire to see in those around us, our friends. It's what we desire to see in our families, in our children, our grandchildren. We desire to see this evidence of the work of the Spirit of God. We're desperate for this. We pray for this. And so, uh, this morning, we think on this rightly. We call it it's the miracle. We just read uh, an effectual calling from the confession, right? Very nicely placed. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so you, we we think on the work of the Spirit of God, the work that only the Spirit of God can do in a heart. <clears throat> and it's so encouraging to realize what a miracle this is, and pray for the Lord to to bring this again and again and again and again in our midst and bring it again and again and again to those we love, those we've shared the gospel with. What a comfort it is when we think about God by his spirit doing what only he can do in a heart. It's a wonderful comfort, and and we we find great encouragement in it. Now, Nicodemus should have known all about the new birth, but he didn't. He should have known. Certainly, uh, given his uh, religious credentials, he should have known. But how could he? since he himself was not born again. How could he understand it? So a preacher or a religious leader, if he's not been born again, he doesn't understand anything about the new birth. Nicodemus didn't understand. So, Nicodemus, though an intelligent and religious man, he was dead and blind and still in his sin. And because he was dead and blind, he was utterly unable to change himself. And I put it that way just now because I think this is what was rather plaguing him. One of the things that was rather plaguing him as he came and he sought out Jesus. He was a Jew, Nicodemus a Jew, but he wasn't a Jew inwardly, was he? He was only a Jew outwardly, by which we mean he did not have a true and saving faith. Just a Jew outwardly. He was a Pharisee. So we know he was of that religious party of the Jews that was very, actually very serious about keeping the law of God. So we know he was a very religious man in a certain respect, religious man, and he regarded himself to be a religious man. He was, as were others of the Pharisees, very much concerned about how one could attain righteousness. And we can be certain that for most of his life he had pursued righteousness but he had not pursued it by faith. Also Nicodemus as a Pharisee would be very well versed in the Scripture and this is a lesson in itself, isn't it? Uh, Undoubtedly he he uh, he had memorized vast portions of the Old Testament. So a person can have a lot of the grammar of Scripture in their minds and still be dead, spiritually dead. And it's a rather dangerous thing in a certain respect because you can, take, you can take a false sort of comfort because you have a lot of the grammar in your mind uh, and think you're all right uh, and not be at all all right. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews, so he's a member of the body of Israel, or the ruling body of Israel, the Sanhedrin. So all very informative, I think, for us because he's a very gifted man. He's a very gifted man. He's a very earnest man in a particular way. But again, he's still in his sins. Now, we also need to remind ourselves this morning that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke perfect words. This is a beautiful thing. When you come to the Gospels, you know you keep this in mind. He spoke perfect words to whoever it was that he encountered. And he spoke perfect words to them because he perfectly understood their heart. And so it's really helpful, isn't it, as you come to the gospel accounts and you see these interactions or these exchanges, um, what he says to whoever is is there in his presence, what he says is based on an understanding of what he knows about their heart. So it's like you can peel back, you understand what's going on in their heart in a measure from what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying to them. Always important to keep that in mind. So this morning we consider this amazing miracle, uh, the new birth. A birth from above. Now we'll think on it in three ways. And these are all very closely related. It's like saying the same thing three times in a way. But three points, you know. First of all, it is a birth from above. Wonderful thing. It's a birth from above. There's nothing like it. Nothing like it on the earth. It's a birth from above. Secondly, it's a birth by the Spirit, which is, again, kind of saying the same thing. It? It's a birth by the Spirit. It's also a birth that is mysterious, mysteriously and sovereignly brought about. Mysterious. Sovereignly brought about. So first, it's a birth from above. Verse 1, we read again, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. We thought about his bio already a little bit. Ruler of the Jews, member of the ruling body of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Evidently, we said, a very gifted man. But he's still in his sins. Still in his sins. That's just a marvelous thing to think about, him seeking out Jesus here. Because in a certain respect, in a certain respect, he has no idea who he is about to have a private interview with. He's no idea. So it's it's marvelous to think about the providence of God in that respect, isn't it? Uh, Very gifted man. So what about his interest in Christ? What do we make of it? The, The Scripture says, "This man came to Jesus by night." I think we can say we certainly see an earnestness of a sort, don't we? He was seeking, in other words, he was seeking a private interview with Jesus. He comes by night. And sometimes, you know, probably something of the fear of man involved here. Um, He's concerned about what his peers would think of him. Undoubtedly, that would be in his mind. But on the other hand... When else could he get a private interview with Jesus except at night? I mean, it's not going to happen any other time. So he really does. There's an earnestness about him here. He really wants an interview with Jesus. He wants a private interview with Jesus. He wants to be able to engage Jesus, which as you think about it, that's a beautiful thing. A person who really does, he really does want to engage Jesus. He really does want to hear what the Lord would say to him. Uh, and that's a good place to be. I want to hear, that's where we, we, we want to be this morning, right? I want to hear, this is why we gather, this is why we come to the Word. I want to hear what Jesus will say to me today. And you can be sure of this, He has something to say to every one of us today as we gather here and, and hear His Word. That's why we come to the Word, isn't it? It's to seek Him. It's to know Him. It's to hear Him speak to us. That's why we do this. That's why we're doing everything we're doing this morning. Uh, so, so here, it's marvelous to think about. So we see an earnestness. He's certainly very interested in Jesus. He wants a private, undisturbed interview with him. And he already believes certain things about Jesus. Uh, many believed certain things about Jesus, but had no saving faith. If you look at those last verses of chapter 2, you see that in particular, I think. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man." for he himself knew what was in man. So you get this this description through the Gospels, right? Where, in particular in the Gospel of John, where it'll say at various points they believed, you know, people believed. So at a certain level, I think you can put it this way, at a certain level they believed. That's where Nicodemus is right now. He did believe certain things about Jesus, and he gives expression to it here. Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. So he presently believes this about Jesus. He believes Jesus has, has, came from God. He believes he's extraordinary. He believes, he really believes he could do the miracles. So he believes there's the power of God operative in him, which, of course, in that day, and you could say today, too, in a certain respect, uh, a lot of people believe that about Jesus. A lot of people who are still in their sins believe this about Jesus. Uh, he, he, came from, he was sent from God. He's, sort of, he's a teacher sent from God. A lot of people believe Jesus did miracles. At a certain level, they do. Jesus did miracles. And, and that that's sort of belief, and in a particular way, it's, it's certainly respectful so far as it goes, but it's entirely deficient. It's entirely deficient when it comes to salvation. If that's all Jesus was and no more a teacher from God, if that's all he was, I mean, the other prophets were teachers from God. You could believe about the other prophets, same thing, right? But if that's all he was, a teacher from God, if that's all he was, just a miracle worker, if that's all he was, all of us would still be in our sins, if that's all he was. But he was so much more than that, wasn't he? He is so much more than that. But if that's a person's assessment of Jesus, if it doesn't go beyond that, that person's still in his sins. And, this, and one thing we could say about that is it gets to, you know, you think about the three features of faith. You know, there's knowledge, there's ascent, and there's resting in Christ, right? Those are the three components, essential components. And you've got to have all three for saving faith. But a lot of people are at that place of just um, ascent. I believe Jesus came. It's, it's a certain level of belief, right? I believe Jesus came. I believe he was, I believe he was the greatest teacher in the world he certainly was I think a lot of unbelieving people will grant that right? but that's, it's ascent it's mere ascent you've got to rest in Christ so here's Nicodemus in spite of all his apparent qualifications he was a man in fact without any true spiritual life he was a man still in his sins and of course what the Lord says to him makes it very clear that's the case that's where he is He'd endeavored to live the religious life as he understood it. But now, by the grace of God, he was perhaps beginning to understand in his heart of hearts that he could not change himself inwardly, that he could not, try as he might, attain righteousness. So Nicodemus had real questions about Jesus, real questions. and i think we see him here on the very brink of asking the right questions on the very brink but only jesus could save him so we could put it this way to be on the brink is not enough to be on the brink is not enough but you, i think you can see I, I, you know, I think you can see something of the evidences of god's work in his heart to this point He's seeking Jesus out. That's a good thing. He already believes certain things about Jesus. He wants more. He wants this private interview. He wants to understand. We could say he wants to understand more so who Jesus is. Uh, So still very much in the dark, as the Lord indicates here, he's blind. right? Still very much. And and his only hope is Christ. So isn't it marvelous to think of this? That he seeks out this private interview and as we said a few minutes ago, he, has n- he really has no idea who he's encountering here. And it's just, what a grace, what a mercy of God that he comes into the presence of the Savior of the world. It's stunning when you think about it. What a marvelous thing. Well, Jesus confronts him concerning his true need. Verse 3, this is rather abrupt, isn't it? I'm sure when Pastor Kendall preached this, you know, you get that, you know, right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jesus doesn't beat around the bush graciously. He's going to tell him, he tells him exactly what he needs to hear. So his goal was not to make Nicodemus feel comfortable, was it? You know, to carefully avoid offending him in any way, schmooze him. His goal was, he didn't tell Nicodemus that he was already connected to God, right? It's a great mistake made by various preachers today. You know, you're already connected to God, right? I mean, very grave, serious mistake for any preacher Ever to make. I cannot assume when I preach, I should never assume that everybody's connected to God somehow. Sorry, I'm getting the accent there too. Um, that man just if I could say it, that man just doesn't preach the gospel at all. He does not preach the gospel. So Jesus isn't trying to make Nicodemus feel comfortable. He doesn't commend Nicodemus for his service. He does not compliment him for his exceptional gifts or his seriousness about religion. No, Jesus' goal is the salvation of this man, and so he speaks directly to his heart. He speaks of the absolute necessity of the new birth. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you need to step back and consider what is really central to the kingdom of God. You and others like you stand in need of a spiritual birth, a birth from above. And apart from this birth, all men are blind to the things of the kingdom. It's a great uh, blessing to be born again, isn't it? Wow, that's an understatement. Great blessing to be born again, to see the unseen kingdom of God, to see it with eyes of faith. What a blessing! We see, we trust. We see things that no one else sees. And we learn more and more what it is to to grow in faith and see with eyes of faith. So Jesus is saying this is fundamental, right? Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, you're a blind man. You need to be born again. You need to be born from above. Such a birth only comes by heavenly power, by the power of God. So to Nicodemus, All men, including yourself, stand in need of nothing less than a radical renovation of your being, a spiritual birth, a birth from above. That's the starting point of true spiritual life. It's a miracle. I know you believe this. It's a miracle. It's a miracle from above for someone to really see, to really, we could say, to really get it, to finally understand who Jesus really is, hmm? It's a miracle. Yeah. Now consider just briefly the power, the metaphor that the Lord Jesus uses here. It's a, it's a birth. We've often thought on this, undoubtedly all of us, but it's, it's a, think on it again this morning. It's a birth. Nicodemus needs a new birth. He needs a birth from above. As a natural birth, think about it. Man cannot bring it about, right? <laughs> We're passive in it. Our birth is not something that we brought about. It's something that happened to us. I cannot say I born myself. <laughs> no, I was born. It happened to me. I was just there. Or there I was, right? And I I I didn't understand, I, I had no understanding of what was going on when I was born, but I was, it was a new life, right? New creature. A human being born into the world. I mean, that in itself is an amazing thing, but just think about it. the design of God, therefore the power of the metaphor. God designed it this way. Um, he designed it this way so that it would teach us something uh, further about the work of God that only comes from above. So the miracle of the new birth, the birth from above, we're passive in it. We read, again, we read the calling there, right? It makes it pretty clear, summary of of doctrine there. Uh, We're passive in it. It's something that happens to us. I cannot say that I birthed myself spiritually, just as I cannot say I saved myself. And and at that point, I could only only begin uh, uh, to understand what had taken place. That's the way it is, you know. You, when when you're born again, you, you're you're in a way you're a little baby, right? And and God's gonna take care of you, and He does. <laughs> but we understand so little at the very beginning, and God has to explain everything that's happened to us. So among other things, He explains to us, uh, yeah, effectual calling. Uh, you didn't birth yourself. I thought. Well, I thought, you know, I thought I had a lot to do with it, right? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I sought the Lord for many years, and I studied all the religions, and I determined, you know, that uh, so, you know, such and such, oh, yeah, 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 right, yada, yada, yada. Some people say, you know, really? So God has to explain to us what actually happened, and he opens our eyes to the vista of what really happens. He opens our eyes to uh, unseen spiritual realities and shows us what it all means. And so more and more we praise him for this, don't we? Today we do, don't, don't we? I mean, if you trust, we trust Christ. We, we knew this in advance of the service today. We're born again, right? We knew this, but now we're thinking about it. And we think about how wonderful it is and what God would do in us, what he's, what he's done in us, what he'll yet do in us. And he's fully able to do it. So a birth from above which is really to say, in our second point, it's a birth by the Spirit of God. <laughs> it's a birth by the Spirit of God. Here's Nicodemus' question now, and it's a good question. It's an honest question from Nicodemus. This is why we say, I think, he's, he's, he's on the verge here, right? He's on the verge, and only, only, only one can put him over the edge. And, and in this case, the putting over, uh, putting over the edge is a miracle. <laughs> But Nicodemus, question, good question, how can a man be born when he is old? A lot of people have this question, actually. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, Nicodemus is an intelligent man. He understands there's a metaphor here, I think. He understands. He's an intelligent man. He's not saying literally thinks you've got to get go back into your mother's womb and be born again. But it's uh, what you're saying is is like saying what you're saying Jesus is radical. Is it really possible? He's an older man. Is it really possible to be changed, radically changed, when a man's old? This is un it's like he's he's like this is unbelievable to me. It is presently still unbelievable to him. <laughs> this, is unbelievable. It, this is unbelievable. Can this really be? He's a man who's tried to change himself his whole life long. He's a man who's tried to be religious, and he viewed himself to be religious, we said. He viewed himself to be religious his whole life long. Here's his question now. How can a man be born when he's old? Can there really be a new beginning? Really? A radical a birth? A radical change? And the answer, verse 5, truly, truly I say to you, Jesus, truly, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The yes, Jesus is saying here, it is indeed a radical change. That's what I'm talking about, Nicodemus, a radical change. It's wrought by the Spirit of God involved as an inward radical cleansing of the being, not only a cleansing from the guilt of sin, but from its dominion. Radical change. Now Jesus is simply, I think, referencing Ezekiel 36 here, and Nicodemus would have been very familiar with that passage. It was a prophetic promise of restoration, which promise centered in describing a work of the Spirit. Nicodemus would be very familiar with Ezekiel 36. Describing, we say, a work of the Spirit. Let me just give the the, sort of the bullet points of what you get in that section, Ezekiel 36. The Lord says through his prophet there these things, three things primarily. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Secondly, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Thirdly, I will put my spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yeah, Nicodemus would be utterly familiar with with that passage, the grammar of it at least, right? But he failed to see that it described the new birth. So yes, inward supernatural cleansing, a new life supernaturally wrought by the spirit. So it has to be. It can't proceed from man at all. And that's what Jesus says, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So if I'm just left to my own resources to try to change myself, what comes out, just flesh, that's it. That's all I can do. Maybe I can be a religious fleshly person, right? There are a lot of people who are religious fleshly people. They're good people, but they've not trusted in Christ. So what they're doing is just trying to change themselves. That's what they've done their whole life long. But if they're honest with themselves, they know they've never been able to radically change themselves. It's a birth from above. It's a birth by the Spirit. Self-renovation, in other words, self-renovation. A lot of people do that. Self-renovation is not salvation. It's a world away from it. It's a world away from it. It's an eternity away from it. Self-renovation is not salvation. Nicodemus needs a birth by the Spirit. And that's what this new birth is. It's a birth by the Spirit. This birth from above, it's a birth by the Spirit. I want to say something else about the birth here. Thinking about this comparison again. Natural birth, spiritual birth. As a natural birth... It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Just a natural birth. You've got babies being born here, you know. We had four grandchildren born, to, born in our, into our family the last two and a half months. Uh, it's an amazing thing. It's so marvelous that it takes your breath away. It marks the beginning of a new life. And, and in that respect, it's a thing of great joy, isn't it? So the miracle of the new birth, similarly, a new life come into existence, so marvelous it takes your breath away. It marks the beginning of a new life. It's a thing of greatest joy. So the new birth. A birth by the Spirit. A birth from above. And we say it's a birth. We see here it's a birth that's mysterious and sovereignly brought about. Now Nicodemus is is rather stunned and surprised by what Jesus is saying. He he can't believe it. I mean, it is unbelievable (laughs) when you think about it. It's the truth, but in a way, it's, it's unbelievable. This is unbelievably wonderful. It's unbelievably encouraging. It's unbelievable to think about a person radically changed from the inside, huh? Totally changed. So Jesus says... To Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. I should point out here in the text, you know, it's do not marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, singular. Do not marvel that I said to you, you all must be born again. He's making a statement about those of the covenant nation, I think, in particular here, right? I mean, they all had a sort of standing in the covenant, God's Old Testament people. They all had a kind of standing in the covenant, but they all needed to be born again nonetheless, I mean to put it in other Old Testament language, they all needed a circumcised heart, which only God could do. You know, yeah, try circumcising your heart sometimes. <laughs> but it's interesting; God gives that sort of command or that directive or that admonition in the Old Testament it was "circumcise your heart," which should cause them to cry out, "I can't circumcise my heart." What do I do? Well, cry out for the mercy of God, that you might have a circumcised heart. It's a very parallel idea, there, isn't it? Uh, So here, to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So at verse 8, Jesus continues to press the wonder and reality of the new birth. He says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, it's important to note here that both in Hebrew and Greek, the word for wind is the same as the word for spirit. And by God's design, the wind in its characteristics, is intended to illustrate the work of the Spirit in the new birth. So that's, that's what's be- rather behind this, isn't it? The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Like the wind in Nicodemus, mysterious and powerful, you see its effects, but you have no control or power over it. Nobody has power over the wind. Nobody can resist it, actually. But here, mysterious, powerful. You cannot grasp it. You cannot trace its origin. You cannot predict its destination. So the work of the Spirit, Nicodemus. This work of the new birth, this birth from above, in it man is entirely helpless, powerless, unable to bring it about. So he's saying to Nicodemus, among other things, you are entirely helpless, In this matter, you're entirely helpless. This is one of the great truths of the Reformation, right? The inability of man. We have it full bore here in John chapter 3. Nicodemus, you are entirely unable to bring this about. What I'm talking about. What you need. This birth from above. This birth by the Spirit. It's like the wind. You have no control over it. You, You cannot trace its origin It's a miracle of God. So yes, to Nicodemus, he says, such total renovation of which I speak is entirely beyond you. It's a work of God. All your life, Nicodemus, you've labored at self-renovation. And what have you really accomplished? You're lifeless on the inside. And you know it. Jesus... Speaks right to the heart, doesn't he? And he speaks exactly what Nicodemus needs to hear. Now, don't marvel, Nicodemus, that I said to you, You must be born again. Do not marvel that I press this upon you, and upon all. The wonder, the necessity of the new birth. So, what can we conclude about the new birth from what Jesus has just said? The nature of the new birth. The birth wrought by the Spirit is invisible in its origin. Now, I think we understand, but it's important to think about it. It's it's invisible. You can't see it. You you can't see it coming. It's invisible. Its origin is mysterious. It proceeds from the hand of God. This birth is wrought sovereignly and irresistibly. I love to think of that, you know, sovereignly, Irresistibly. Man has no control over it. It's entirely of God. And the power exercised in it is irresistible. I love that. Don't you love it? It's irresistible. When God determines to save a person, he saves them. It is not difficult for him to do. It it is like it comes out of nowhere in a certain respect and, you know, there it is. Invisible. Irresistible. But we say... It's wonderful to have kids in the worship. It really is. They're a part of this. Hmm? They're covenant children. They're a part of this. We love to have them in the worship. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. Hope he brings her back in. <laughs> <laughs> But we say then, the birth wrought by the Spirit, it's unmistakable also in its evidences and effects. That's part of the the imagery of the wind, right? Or the metaphor here. Notice at the end of verse 8, he says, So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. That's interesting. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Is Jesus talking about the Spirit here or or about the one who's born of the Spirit? Are you speaking of both. Or perhaps said another way, he's speaking about this work of the Spirit extended and now manifest in the one who's born of him. Unmistakable effects. You can see the unmistakable effects. Inevitable effects. You can see it. How might we think of that? Fruit of the Spirit, right? Love. Unmistakable effects. Person changed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Gentleness, meekness, faith, self-control, right? Beautiful, unmistakable effects. No one can do that in a human heart except the Spirit of God. When a person genuinely loves, selflessly loves, they have real joy. Well, that's part of the miracle, isn't it? They're really changed. And you know it when they're changed. Unmistakable effects. Nicodemus, you must be born again. So how is Nicodemus to properly respond to Jesus' admonition? You must be born again. Again, it's like Old Testament. You you need to circumcise your heart. You, You need a circumcised heart. How do you respond to that? Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he stands in need of a work of the Spirit. He needs a new heart. He needs a birth from above. So he's at once telling Nicodemus... What he needed while at the same breath telling him that he's unable to bring it about. You need to be born Oh, you can't do it. Very important to preach inability, isn't it? You can't do this. Stop thinking that you can do this. Stop trying to change yourself. You need to be born again. So, how's Nicodemus to respond to that? What could he do? Except confess his sin and helplessness, and cast himself on the mercy of God, which is again to say, he he can't do anything, (laughs) and he's recognizing that he can't do anything, recognizing he can't change himself, recognizing that uh, he has much sin to answer for, and he has a sin that's still captive to its idols, and he can't change that. He can cry out for mercy. Many people, uh, we, as we said this a few minutes ago, many people labor all of their lives at self-renovation, trying to make themselves better. And some do it religiously. They may be in the church their whole life, and they've just been and it's a dreary existence, I'm trying to change myself, trying to be religious. I mean, you end up you have to fake it, actually, right? In the final analysis, you've got to fake it. <laughs> I'll pretend to be religious. Even though I hate that guy sitting next to me. You know, that kind of thing, right? So Jesus makes it very clear here that self-renovation is not salvation. Uh, Mere self-renovation leaves a person on a path to hell. Self-renovation, religious self-renovation, is just a person saying, I'll I'll, I'll do it my way. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do religion as I understand it. And don't, Don't bother me about Jesus, all right? So, here, Jesus, brothers and sisters, Jesus' merciful admonition again this morning. You must be born again. You must be born again. And again, Jesus at the same time tells us what we need, and at the same breath, he tells us we're unable to bring it about. So, to anyone here this morning, if you don't know Christ, here's the admonition you must be born again. You need a new heart. Without that, how, 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 however intelligent you are, or however you've tried to fix yourself, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You're not even able to see it. Again, you might say, well, what can I do since I cannot change my heart, since I can't birth myself? You can cry out for mercy. You can cry out for mercy. And God always hears that prayer. You Cry out for mercy. Now you children, you know, speak to the children. Some of them, not all of them can understand exactly what I'm saying here, but speaking to the children, uh, I'd say to the kids, do you know that you're a sinner? Do you know that you've sinned? Do you know that you need a new heart? If you know that you've sinned, then you know you need a new heart. And you can always ask God for a new heart. Yeah, I'm talking to you little kids now. <laughs> you need a new heart. And you can ask God for a new heart. I remember one time years ago I was preaching and um, I, was, I don't know if it was this passage, it was a similar passage, but I was talking about, you need a new heart. And I trying to press that point. And you heard this little voice from the back of the room say, uh, oh, oh, and she has sort of a deep voice, Jalen. She was about five years old, maybe. Oh, brother. (laughs) Oh, brother. And I thought, well, what's wrong, you know? Oh, brother. She said pretty loud. Oh, brother. She said, I need a new heart. (laughs) Isn't that beautiful? I need a new heart. Well, we say to the children today, you can ask the Lord to give you a new heart. He delights to give a new heart. This is what we often say to our children hmm? and our grandchildren. You need a new heart. And only the Lord can give you a new heart. So we encourage them to pray just that way. Hmm? Now think about that. Think about what the Lord's pleased to do in our midst this morning. Even as we worship, we hear the word preached. Read the scripture. Sing. Pray. Hear the word preached, we say. Think about what the Lord's pleased to do. Mysteriously invisibly it's an amazing thing to think about isn't it he he quickens one to life even as we speak isn't that marvelous he quickens one to life think about these little ones you know if they if the lord knows where they are right the lord knows the state of their heart the lord knows the, what the prayer would be or how it might be framed hmm? Even now, the Lord's pleased to touch hearts, to bring about the new birth here and there. So we say again, you know, we started you know, this morning uh, in the sermon, what's the church supposed to be like? It's supposed to be like a delivery room. Hmm? Which is, a, I mean, delivery room like is like a messy place. It can be a messy place, it's a busy place, you know, all kinds of activity going on, you know. There's new life happening all over the place. Now I understand this morning you're a small congregation and you know, probably most of you know the Lord already so it's, so it's not quite maybe like a delivery room at this right now, immediately. But this is what you desire, isn't it? This is what you want. This is what you're praying for. This is why you're, you're seeking to lay the foundation that you're laying here. Because you want the gospel, among other things, you want the gospel to be very clear in its preaching. You want people to hear about their inability. They need to hear this. They need to be dis- dissuaded, divested of their thoughts about self-renovation. That's what we desire, isn't it? We want changed hearts. And may the Lord bless uh, Covenant Reformed Baptist Church in just that way. May it become more and more a great place of birth from above, like a delivery room. Maybe you rename the church, you know. <laughs> Delivery room, Reformed Baptist Church, you know. you got to be fancy these days, you know, with your names, right? So something like that, you got to be clever. Uh, But let me speak just for a moment to to parents, too. Uh, Never stop praying for your children, and I think in just this way. Never stop praying for them that they might be born again. Never stop praying, however old they may be. That's part of my point now. However old they may be. If they've heard the gospel, God is pleased for Jesus' sake still to do a work in their hearts. So we don't stop praying. And I know you wouldn't. I know no parent would. We pray that God would do in their hearts what only He can do. And it's a great comfort, isn't it? Great comfort. I think uh, in the case where we're with older children where they wandered, they've wandered from the faith. Uh, your faith is is rather purified here. It's rather refined here, where it's more and more. It's just it's just it's confidence. It's trust in the Word of God alone. Trust in the Spirit of God alone to do in their heart what only He can do. And you stop trying to manipulate. You stop trying to, you know, fancy-schmancy persuade, you know. <laughs> and you rest. You really rest in what you've said to them. Oftentimes I've said to parents in this situation, I've said to them, I don't think you need to say another thing to them. I don't think you need to say another thing. And, and maybe say that to them, Right? <laughs> I don't think I need to say another thing to you. You know the truth. You've heard it. And I can't change you. And you can't change yourself. And you know it. Similar to that, right? So rejoice in, in, in the birth from above. Praise the Lord. Isn't it a glorious thing to be born again, to have the Spirit of God in us. Isn't that amazing? Have the Spirit of God in us this morning, just now to, to empower us, to, to, to hear these words. And that they would have their effect in us. We're indwelt by the Spirit. He's the, and tomorrow morning when you get up, keep that in mind. You're born again. You have the Spirit of God within you to do whatever you need to do then. And we need all the Spirit of God to do what He calls us to do every day of our lives. So it's great to think on that, isn't it? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. We'll close. Father, help us then. Seal this word in our hearts. And so give to us even today to glory in what you have done. Glory in the, in, the, in the work of the new birth. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.